Lord, you have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. We acknowledge that yours is the kingdom and yours is the glory. And yours is the name above every name. Because death could not hold you. And Lord, the veil tore before you. And you silenced the boast of sin and grave. And Lord, this morning, the heavens are roaring the praise of your glory because you were raised to life again. So this morning, we do want you lifted up and we want in our own spirits, in our own souls to be just this roar of you and your glory and your kingdom coming out from um, the very essence of who we are. So Lord, we just pray with David that you would open our eyes this morning that we may see wonderful things in your word. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Um, we will, there is a bulletin insert this morning if you want to take notes. This is a really important, thank you, Hugo. This is a really important uh, thing we're going to talk about this morning. And speaking of like note pages, um, you know, a couple weeks in the job, you just start learning what, what being uh, like a lead follower of a church is really like. <laughs> and one of the things you find out is like people after the service leave things on chairs on their note pages. And so uh, now I know what people really do when I, when I preach. I, <laughs> I, this was found last Sunday. Merman, if Garen were a merman... Um, <laughs> the, I mean, even got the glasses on there, and uh, look at that, the, the cross and the, the hammock here even have the little tent, the Jayhawk, and I didn't even wear a Jayhawk shirt last week, so somebody knows my heart, but <laughs> there were a few things that were incorrect about this that we had to fix, so uh, this, is, this is how it should have been drawn. I don't know how they left the hair off. That kind of is a, <laughs> is a mystery. Uh, so anyways, now I know what hap really happens while I'm up here. Um, okay, so last week, we're going um, to continue with this theme of this onward journey. that we started last week. And again, that's part of the whole image on the bulletin is, and, and there's even going to be more that's going to come out about why this is important over the next coming weeks. But um, this week, we want to talk about this, um, with this idea of the journey and that we really are kind of on a new journey, a new place. I'm on a new journey. You guys are on a new journey with me. That Psalm 84.5 that I love, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage, and that's what we're doing. So we're on this journey onward, and today I want to talk about our quest. Last week was about our captain, the one under whose authority we live and walk and, and live our lives, right? And I, we also talked about, do you remember when, when, that, when the captain showed up and Joshua said, are you for us or for the enemy? And do you remember his answer? No. Because the question is, is who are you for? And specifically, are you for me, and are, are you about living your own story, or are you about living into my story? And that's really what I want to talk about today, is that, that quest of living into the story. I use that word quest for a really important reason. Um, if Karen will be here second service, um, J.R.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings, uh, and writing about it, talked about the difference between an adventure and a quest. Because our culture, we're all about adventures. People want to go on adventures, but really what an adventure is really, it's all about me and my experience, the thrills of something. It's very self-focused, but the idea of a quest is about something much larger than my own self. It's being on a mission to do something that is way 
even beyond what I can do on my own. It requires companions and it requires commitment. It may even cost me more than I imagine. And so that's why I use this word quest. Um, so what is our quest? And to answer that, I need to ask you another question, which is this. I want, to, I want you to take a minute and think about this. What was the gospel? What was the good news that Jesus preached? And this isn't a trick question, but just for a minute, I want you to think in your mind, how would you, if somebody came up to you and asked you that question, how would you answer that question? What was the gospel that Jesus preached? And I won't make you turn to the person next to you and give an answer because I hate it when, when I'm in the audience and that happens, so I won't, I won't do that to you. I don't know, maybe that would be fun to watch a hundred other people do the thing I always hate doing. What's the gospel that Jesus preached? Here's the gospel that he preached. He, the gospel that he preached, it was the good news of the kingdom of God. That's the gospel he preached. In Matthew 9.35, it says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Um, it's interesting to me that... In the Gospels, the kingdom of God on the lips of Jesus occurs 97 times, 97 times. And in every place in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus talks about the gospel and he puts a descriptor on it, every single time he calls it the gospel of the kingdom or the gospel of the kingdom of God. It was so important to him that he began his ministry talking about the kingdom in, in Matthew 4, where it says he um, went throughout Galilee, teaching in their, their synagogues, preaching the good news of what? Of the kingdom. And then the last words on his lips to his followers in Acts, we are told that after, he, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the what? The kingdom of God. So the beginning and the ending of his ministry, his focus is the kingdom of God. And it just doesn't stop in the Gospels. In the book of Acts, the book of Acts is actually bookended with this concept of the kingdom of God. We just read Acts chapter 1 verse 3. It starts with the focus on the kingdom. And then in Acts 28, when Paul is in Rome, it says, from morning till evening, he explained and declared to them what? the kingdom of God, and he tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And then a few verses later, it says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. He proclaimed, what? The kingdom of God, and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And it's not just Paul. Philip, when he went to Samaria, we're told in Acts 8.12 that he proclaimed to them the kingdom of God. The message of Paul and Barnabas was the kingdom of God, and we've already looked at Paul. There's other places where he talks about it. The last kind of words on his mouth when he wrote his last letter, 2 Timothy, in prison before dying, he concluded that letter talking about in 2 Timothy 4.18. Guess what? The kingdom of God. So this, this was significant all throughout the New Testament, in fact, um, this, this idea of the kingdom of God is in not just Jesus' lips and Paul's writings, it is in Hebrews, James, Peter, and the epistles of John. And it is big in Revelation. So everything in the New Testament talks about this kingdom of God. So what was the gospel that Jesus preached? It was the good news of the coming of the kingdom, the good news of the coming of God's kingdom. Now, before I define that more clearly, what that message was, I need to do something else first. I want to talk about that word kingdom. Um, it's an interesting word in Greek. Its primary emphasis is on the concept of authority. Um, so in other words, a person's kingdom, it is their sphere of influence where what they say goes. 
That's kind of the idea. A kingdom is a sphere of influence where what I say goes. It's what Dallas Willard calls the range of like my effective will. Like I get, if there's a kingdom of Garen, which I don't think it's very big, <laughs> it's the range of my effective will. It's where what I say goes. And I can tell you, you don't have to get very far out of my range. I mean, the range of that is not very big. There's a lot in my life that where things do not go as I desire. So my kingdom is really pretty small. Um, so my personal kingdom is where things go exactly the way I want them to go. Let me kind of illustrate this idea of the range of my effective will. You guys remember as children, uh, at least my age, you'd go on a road trip with the family, right? Back then, what seatbelts were for was for reflecting the sunlight into your brother's eyes over here. They weren't to wear, right? We were all over cars. I mean, I remember taking naps in the back dash, uh, things that would never happen now. But inevitably, three brothers of us in the back seat, we would cause trouble, right? Inevitably. I know you're shocked. Um, maybe somebody could draw that picture, me in a back seat with my three brothers. And, uh, and, and my dad was a good guy, and I love my dad, but occasionally he would realize that we had gotten out of the range of his effective control and was needing to rein us in. And to illustrate this idea of the range of your effective control, so he'd be driving and he'd start doing this, kind of reaching. You ever, have you ever had that happen, reaching for the boys? I always got to sit on the left side, and that was the best place to be. The middle was where my, my little brother sat, because my, the middle seat was in the range of his effective will. He could easily reach back and grab my little brother. I could get in the corner, and my dad's <laughs> sweeping motion, you know, I was outside of the range of, of his effective will. Uh, that is until he tapped the brakes, and then I went forward, and then my kingdom come, right? <laughs> But my dad was always, uh, <laughs> always nice. My mother wasn't driving, so her, she could get on her knees, and her effective, the range of her effective will was much greater in the car. Um, so here's what the kingdom of God is. It is the range of God's effective will. It's where what he says goes. It's the, fear, the sphere in which everything that happens meets with his approval and his delight. It's where things are precisely the way God wants them to be. Does that make sense? That's where God's kingdom is, is where things are exactly how he wants them to be. And in order, now with that kind of in our pocket, to understand this idea of the kingdom, what I've got to do is I need to tell you the story of the Bible because it is the story of the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible is. As Tim Keller says, the Bible is not a book of teachings with stories to illustrate the teachings. The, the Bible is a single story it is 66% narrative. It's a single story with teachings that illustrate the story. And that story is the story of God, and it's the story of His kingdom. And as you see on this sheet, it is a story that unfolds in three acts. It's a drama with three parts, the story of God. And it starts with creation. That's the first act of His story. Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God creates a perfect world exactly according to His design specifications. Exactly according to His design specifications. And according to Genesis 1.26, He creates the first man and woman as the crowning achievement of that. And they were given under His reign, they were given actual rule over this new creation while living under His loving reign, under His effective control, in intimate relationship with Him. So this whole thing was under His reign, His control. He put them in effective role over it, but yet they were still living under His reign and control. God was king of the whole thing. The whole universe was His kingdom. The whole universe was the place where things happened exactly as He intended. Um, and everything met with His approval and His delight. Things were precisely the way He wanted them to be. We know this because six times in Genesis chapter 1, it says, as He was creating, He kept saying, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. Man, it's good. And then the seventh time He says, it's very good. And it was a place, we know, that was full of the shalom of God, Jewish Rabbis talk a lot about this, full of the shalom of God. 
that everything was good and right. Everything was right-related. Everything was exactly as it was intended to be. Everything functioned and worked, worked perfectly and in total harmony. But the story has a second act, and it's this. Then comes corruption. This is Genesis chapter 3. So the first, the first two acts of this drama happen in the first three chapters of Genesis. Satan enters the picture. He enters the picture. And the first man and woman, through his deception, they reject the reign of God in their lives, and through that act of disobedience and sin, the whole of God's good creation was corrupted. They were separated from God, and it had this cascading effect through the whole creation to where Romans 8, I mean, yes, Romans chapter 8 says that because of their sin, that the whole of creation was subjected to brokenness. Because of their sin, the whole of creation was subjected to brokenness. And in the process of rejecting God's reign, they abdicated their rule over the earth, and the world fell under the rule of another, Satan, whom the Bible called at this time in human history, this corruption, called the prince of this world in John 12, 31, 14, 30, and John 16, 11. So in, in their sin and disobedience, brokenness cascaded through the whole creation. They gave up their rule, and, and the rule of the, the creation fell under, came under the rule of Satan. So the kingdom was lost, so to speak. It became a place in which most of what happened no longer met with God's approval and delight. The place where things were rarely the way God wanted them to be. And so paradise was lost. Creation became broken and it was not what God intended it to be. And that shalom of the original creation was lost. And can only be found partially, bits and place, you know, little bits and pieces here and there. Kind of sad, huh? that this great universe that he created that was full of his shalom and goodness, that was under his reign because of the choice of that first man and woman, like the whole thing seems to fall apart. So here's the question. What's God going to do now with this broken world where what he says isn't what happens most of the time, where it does not, most of what happens in this world doesn't meet with his approval and delight? What's he going to do with it? Is he just going to ignore it and walk away? Does he tear it up and start all over again? Just trash the whole thing? Um, well, the answer to that is the third act. And I love this story. And the scripture I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you five scripture from the New Testament that literally give me goosebumps. Um, I love this story. And the... These are on the back of the sheet if you want to follow along and fill these in. But the third act of God's drama of this kingdom story is what we'll call the great restoration. The great restoration. And I'm just going to read these passages. You just follow along. So Matthew 19:28, And this is Jesus talking to his followers. And he said to them, I tell you the truth. When the Messiah, when I sit on my throne, and here he's referring to his ultimate coming as king in the future. When I sit on my throne, look what he calls what's going to happen at that time. At the renewal of, would you read this word with me? All things. The at the renewal of all things. When I come as king and on my throne, there will be the renewal of all things. In Acts 3.21 Peter is preaching about the gospel of the kingdom, and here's what he says, the time will come when God will restore, would you read that word with me? Everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets, to restore everything. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, that great passage on Jesus the Messiah, where Paul writes, through the Messiah, through Christ, through the Messiah, God will reconcile to himself, what's that word? All things, 
whether things on earth, earth or things in heaven. Ephesians 1.10, Paul again writing about Messiah, and he says, when the times will reach their fulfillment, God will, it's, will bring, what's that word? All things in heaven and on earth together under one head, the Messiah, Christ the Messiah. And then Revelation 21, 5, at Urbana we went through Revelation and it was so powerful. God's ultimate triumph over evil, that final restoration of kingdom. And that whole conference, I mean those who were there, was so powerful, right? Looking at Revelation. And in Revelation, here's what it says. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down because these words are trustworthy and true. They are happening now. I am making everything new. Here is what God is up to with his creation. After he creates it and it's perfect exactly as he intends, kingdom is kind of lost, so to speak, but he's still the king. But not everything is happening as he intends. His desire with this is he will renew all things, restore everything, reconcile to himself all things, bring all things under one head, and make everything new. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? Isn't that amazing? His intent is to renew, to restore, to reconcile all things, to make new everything. Everything. And I didn't even read 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 28. That's something you can look up later. So the third and concluding act is this, restoration. Restoration. Now, don't don't write too much from this one down yet. Um, the next slide is going to be better. And here's, so here's what God's doing. is God is restoring. It's the restoration of all of God's creation to its original design. The restoration of all of God's creation to his original design. Everything filling his creation once again with his shalom where everything is right again. Everything is as it should be. Everything is full of his harmony and filled with his blessing. Now, before Jesus came, the Jewish people, they were expecting this restoration. This was their view of world history. From creation to corruption to restoration, this was their view. And they were awaiting God's Messiah, the Savior, who they believed would be a human being, to bring about this restoration, that he would be the instrument of God bringing this restoration. And they believed that when he came, this Messiah, it would be the end of the world. And at that time, there would be judgment, and then God would restore his creation back to its original design. This was what they were waiting for, was for the Messiah to come in power and in authority and to make everything right again. But what the Jewish people didn't understand, and I mean, it's understandable. You read the Old Testament. This is in there, but it's, it's a little cryptic. Um, but there were two key things they didn't understand that we came to know through Jesus. That yes, Messiah would come to restore all things. But number one, a passage we'll use in about a month, but in Isaiah, I think it's 55. Tim loves the passage. I do too that it says in Isaiah, God could find nobody to fix it. And so God said, I've got to do it myself. That it had to be God who would come to restore things. Not just a human, but it would be God. And secondly, that it had to be through his coming, not as king, but as a suffering servant. And to give his life in order to redeem his creation and to redeem us back to himself. That's what they didn't understand, is that it would be God himself who would come, and that he would come not as king, but as a suffering servant, to redeem everything through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so the third act of this drama is God, through Jesus, 
bringing all things back under his loving reign, restoring the totality of his creation back to its original design through Jesus. That redemption is key. And the Jewish people had no sense of this, that that's what Messiah would be doing, coming to die the first time. And then he ascended back up into heaven, right? We know the Messiah ascends. And where he sit, he's taken his place on the throne and he's created a new community of people who accept his offer of relationship with himself and living under his reign through that death, burial, and resurrection. A community of people who live under his reign and through whom Jesus is now working to advance and extend his kingdom. And guess who that group of people is? It's the church. It's the community of Jesus. It is those who follow him. And so now we are on mission with him to restore. We're on mission with him. And here's the mission. Um, This is at the bottom. And this is really important, by the way. This is going to be something that we're going to be about the 12th because this is the mission of God. We are on mission with Jesus, restoring all things to God, one person, one place at a time. That is the mission of His people, restoring all things to God, one person, one place at a time. All things sounds pretty intimidating, right? I'm looking at Pam. Pam, it's your job to restore all things. I know, she's like, oh, I mean, that all things, that's, that's pretty huge. That could be a weight. But the all things is his job. Guess what my job is? One person, one place at a time. One person, one place at a time. I'm part of his restoration movement. And my job is, is to be just in places and knowing individuals and helping restore people. One person, one place at a time, back under the reign of God. I mean, to me, that is so powerful. Um, just seeking to bring a piece of God's kingdom peace of His shalom. That wherever I'm at, I'm seeking to bring a piece of His kingdom peace, His shalom, to whatever places I'm at and whatever individuals I'm in contact with. That wherever I go, as I touch people, that that's my mission. Now, of course, the Bible is clear that this restoration during this time until He comes again This restoration work that he's doing through us, it's only partial. Um, We're broken, right? I'm not going to do it perfectly. And though we have his power, we still have limitations. So this restoration that he's doing right now is partial. But that doesn't mean I cannot strive to be a part of what he's doing, which is restoring all things to God, one person, one place at a time. So this mission won't be completed and brought to consummation until Jesus returns as the true king. Finally, at that time, he will fully restore God's kingdom back to its full, to where he has full effective control of everything, that everything once again is happening exactly as he desires. And we see this, by the way, that very last part, that, um, that restoration is in Revelation 21 and 22. Revelation 19 and 20 talks about the return of the king. Revelation 21 and 22 talks about that full restoration where he creates a new heaven and a new earth where everything is exactly as he intended. So it's not only the great, it's the story of, from creation to corruption, to restoration. It's the story of creation to corruption to recreation, or we could say from creation to corruption to new creation. And it's all through, that word is really important, though it's smaller, redemption. It's all through redemption through Jesus' death and resurrection. So this message of the kingdom is God through Jesus reclaiming and rescuing His good creation. That that is the story of the good news of God's kingdom. That's the story. And that's our quest. That's our mission. Okay, We know our captain. It's Jesus. It's the Messiah. It's the Savior. It is God who came in human flesh to be with us. That's our captain. But where's he taking us as a people? What is our quest? It's his mission. 
which is the restoration of all things. And so our mission, again, is restoring all things to God, one person, one place at a time. And let me just say something about the one person at a time. Because this message of the kingdom, it just doesn't stop with the restoration of all things. It gets better, because that's a really big thing, right? The restoration of all things. It also gets really individual, because the message of the kingdom is also that God desires to restore each individual back into relationship with himself. For this great king is also a good, good father. And because of my sin and my rebellion, I have lost relationship with him, and I'm not living under his reign and in relationship. And Jesus came in his redemption not only to buy back all of his creation, he came back to buy back me, to buy me back, to bring me into relationship with himself. And in his life, he lived the life I should have lived, but that I don't. And in his death, he died the death I should have died for my sin. And that if I will receive him, he will give me relationship with him, and I become a citizen of this great kingdom. And that's great news. And I bowed the knee to him back many years ago, and he's totally changed my life. And he took a very selfish, self-centered young man um, who only cared about what I, what I cared about, what mattered to me, and he's been slowly over time forming and conforming and transforming me into the image of his son, though broken as I still am. And he's called me to be on mission with him and has given me, like all of us, opportunity to do that. So this story is not just about him reclaiming his creation. It's about him reclaiming each of us individually into relationship. And that's great news for me. So, yeah, and that's why I have the circle around that because that's the centerpiece of this good news of the kingdom. The centerpiece is this redemption, not just of creation, but his, the re reclamation of me and redemption of individuals, bringing us as members into his kingdom. So that's the good news that Jesus was proclaiming, the good news of the coming of God's kingdom. In Jesus, our captain, our captain, God in flesh, was decisively breaking into the world which he had created. And he did this to begin the process of fully restoring his creation, all of it, everything, back to its original design in order to bring it back under the loving reign of the Father. That's the story of the kingdom. How many of you have seen the movie The Passion of the Christ that Mel Gibson did a while back? I remember Scott and I went and watched it together. There's something in there that he, that he put in there that was actually quite profound. And I think a lot of people maybe miss it. I'm not sure. But... I'll just let you see it because he gets the whole point of what Jesus was about. Did you see what he said? Who saw if Isaiah 53? Who saw the Lord's power in this? Right? A man being crucified in total powerlessness. Who saw the Lord's power in that? And Mel Gibson understood the message, the gospel of the kingdom enough that he put on the words of Jesus in this moment of powerlessness, carrying a cross to do the redemption, not just of me, but of whole creation, that he says to his mother, I am making all things new. Isn't that powerful? I am making all things new. Jesus was the kingdom bringer, and in him, the kingdom of God was coming. That's why... The carabiners that we passed out last week. And if you're new this week, I think you probably got one. Richard was back there working hard to make sure people got one. On the carabiner, do you remember it says two things? The first one is, please don't use this for adventure climbing. Okay, don't go up on a rock, on a mountain with this, all right? You won't come back alive. <laughs> but the, the most important thing is it says, kingdom people. Kingdom people. Because as we follow our captain, that's what we're about. We are about the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. We are about this mission that God is on, which is the restoration of all things, including his desire, all people, if they are willing, 
back under his loving reign. That is his mission, and that is my mission. And if I'm, and if we are kingdom people and we're on mission with him, as we go through this week, I really challenge you because this story has really profoundly affected the way I view my daily life. As you go through this week, I challenge you, go through the day thinking about this. Today, my mission is restoring all things, one person, one place at a time. What can I do to be bringing the shalom of the kingdom of God into the lives that I'm touching, into the places where I'm working or going or doing or eating or whatever? And that's the whole purpose of this being kingdom people. There have been, this, this is going to be very central, by the way, to who we are as a community from this point on. And we will come back to this story. I'll reference it actually quite a lot. And when I talk about the story of God, this is what I'm talking about, is this three-act drama of creation, corruption, restoration, renewal, recreation, or new creation, whatever we want to call it. Um, and it's actually been in a lot of my teaching more than people realize. Do you guys remember maybe a year or two ago I talked about the law? Do you guys remember this? I'm not going to go back and rehash all of that. But I don't know if you can tell it, but can, if you can see the framework. Oh, you can't. It's all hidden. But, oops, the framework behind that is creation, corruption. This restoration is actually behind that whole talk. That, the story of God was actually behind everything I was talking about of understanding the law. So this, this is going to be something that we're going to refer to, not all the time, but it's going to be a major theme in who we are as a community because I believe this is our quest, that this is our mission. Okay, so the question is, so what? Why is this so important? Why, why would this be my second thing that I want to talk about as we're on this onward journey? Why do I want to talk about the quest being this mission of the kingdom? And I think it has a lot of profound implications. And over the next few years, I want to work some of this out on how it affects our daily life because it, it really does affect our daily life a lot. Um, and this has captured my imagination, this story, and um, has affected even our ministry a lot. I mean, Brandy, that's one of the first things we talked about when she was first doing the internship is we talked about the story of God. And I remember, Brandy, you talking about how much that was such a larger vision than you even had of what we're doing in the world and how much it, it, it impacted you. And I want to, so the first thing, here's, there's two so what's. Number one, my first one is this. This is good news. It is good news. Some, news is something that happened that was profound and that has great implications, right? When you hear news, it's something big. This is big, and news is a story. And the Christianity is the only religion that's a story, and it's news. And when I say story, I'm not meaning a myth. It's a true story. But this is really, really important because I think a lot of people are, are kind of saying now that, that in the West with a lot of the enlightenment stuff, we got to where the Bible became more about like uh, systematic theology or something, and we lost the narrative, we lost the story. And there's this kind of movement to reclaim this story. And here's why it's really important, because the truth is we as human beings, we are storied creatures. We live in stories, we tell stories. You know, when we, we talk and we laugh, we're laughing about things, you know, our family, we played games the other night, and you know, we were laughing about when we did this before in that game, and you're reliving stories. That's how, that's how we relate. Somebody has said, you can speak truth, and people might listen, but if you put it in a story, it will capture their heart. That's how we are. And stories are powerful, and they give us a narrative of how we live our life and the choices that we make. And... That's why George Lucas said this, he who tells the best story wins. That's why he made Star Wars, by the way. He had a worldview he was trying to get out into our culture that didn't fit the Christian worldview because he knew whoever tells the best story wins. And so we need to reclaim this story because this is the greatest story. This is the one true story. This is the story of the return of the king. You know, take Lion King, take Robin Hood and King Arthur. All of those are stories of the restoration of the great king. Those pale in comparison to the true story of the true king reclaiming his kingdom. And this is really important to this generation. I mean, to us. Um, 
because more than ever, especially the young generation who's grown up so much, I mean, I think even us, I would count myself as that, Um, because I've grown up with movies, and great movies become the things that, that we tell stories about, right? Or we tend to think in those things. We are a story generation, and if we want to reach into our culture, do you know what we have to be? We have to be great storytellers, not any story. We have to know this story of God and to be able to tell it and communicate it to people in compelling ways because this story will capture people's hearts and imaginations. I know because we've been telling this story to people from all over the world. And when they hear the story, it does that. It captures their imagination. They ask the question, tell me more. I want to hear more about this king. Who's this Jesus who restores all things through powerlessness, you know? Um, So I think to reach our culture, we more than ever need to reclaim this good news of the kingdom, which is the story of God. Last thing, why I think, why, so what? Why I think this is so important. Because we as human beings are created to make an impact, to make a difference. God created us all, wired us with a desire to believe, to belong, to become, and to become is to make an impact. We all have a longing to, to leave our mark in the world. That's why the story last week was important. G- Joshua was at a point where he had to decide, was he going to leave his mark or was he going to leave God's mark in the world? Does that make sense? Was he going to live for his story to make his impact or was he going to live in the God's story and let God make an impact through him? We all desire to have to make an impact, um, to make a difference. And I want to tell you that most of us, a lot of people, the story we live about is our own life and our own story, and that is too small of a story, and that's why so many people feel meaningless or like their, their, their life's not really making a difference. And I want to tell you that God, when He invites us into His kingdom, He invites us into His story, and of His kingdom, the good news, and His restoration of all things. And His invitation to us is, because this is a really big quest, restoring what? All things back to Him, one person, one place at a time. And I want to tell you, if you will invest your life in this story, if you will make it your quest to follow our captain into this story of of seeking, desiring for all things to be restored back to Him, and that, Lord, wherever I live, I want to be a part of that, one person, one place at a time. I want to tell you that if you will live for that story, and as you start to see lives and places impacted, that there is nothing like that feeling in the world. We are created. God created us to make an impact under and through Him. And um, I'm telling you, this, this, is, this is what a full life is, is living for what He's doing in the world. So let me kind of give you some examples. Let me make this a little more concrete. Any time, for the sake of God's fame and God's mission, desiring to restore all things to God, one person, one place at a time, any time I do that, and I take a classroom over in a school that's chaotic and out of order, with children who are not loved at home, and I bring order and love into that environment and teach them about God's creation. I'm impacting those lives and the kingdom one place, one person at a time. Does that make sense? See, the kingdom comes into your real life. Anytime you go into somebody's home for the sake of God's fame and His mission, for the sake of blessing somebody by repairing something that's broken, Rudy Bradburn, you know, whether it's plumbing, John Schaefer, or a washer, or a broken down porch, you are bringing a piece of God's shalom, you're doing restoration work, one person, one place at a time. Does that make sense? Anytime you, uh, you start a STAR program, or any program like that in your company where you give pro bono work to people who cannot afford your services. 
You're bringing a piece of the shalom. When you're doing that for God's kingdom, for his fame, for his mission, one person, one place at a time, you're bringing a piece of his shalom, of his peace, into the world and you're taking part in his restoration of all things. Anytime you help a neighbor's marriage get better, that's breaking apart and it's wrecking the whole family, and you help bring a greater sense of order to that family, and you're doing it for God's fame and for his mission, one person, one place at a time, you're bringing a small piece of God's shalom, of his peace, into that family, and you're doing kingdom work. Anytime you adopt a child who has never had a family their whole life, and you bring them into your family and give them a sense of home and belonging, you know what you're doing? If you're doing that for God's fame and for His mission, you are restoring, you're part of God's mission to restore all things back to Himself, one person, one place at a time. You're bringing a piece of God's kingdom peace, shalom, into that child's life. Anytime you help repair old bicycles in Mexico, or you help an individual get his bicycle business better up and running and fully functioning, Matt, I don't know if Matt's around, you're bringing a piece of God's shalom into that place and you're doing kingdom work. If you're doing it for his fame and for his mission and bringing a piece of his kingdom peace into that, that's kingdom work. If you ever lead Financial Peace University, Financial Shalom, let's call that, and you take individuals whose finances are broken, and probably because of that, marriages and families aren't functioning well, and you lead people into that and help them to get a better handle based on God's Word on how to handle their finance, and you bring greater harmony to the, the, the couple, the marriage and the family, if you're doing that for God's fame and His mission, do you see how that's part of restoring all things, one person, one place at a time? Does that make sense? That's kingdom work. Everything is kingdom work. And of course it's about reaching souls. Of course. My passion continually is, yes, restoring all things, all places, one place, one person at a time. Yes, and I long because God's great desire, the centerpiece of this story, is the, the reconciliation of individuals back in a relationship. So of course that's my longing in all of this. But I'm restoring, I'm about, God's restoring how many things? All things, okay? Souls, bodies, families, institutions, all things He wants to restore. And if we are a people that are living for His fame and His mission, and we are seeking to restore all things, one person, one place at a time where we live, do you know what people are going to start, do you know people are going to start noticing that? Do you know that? They'll notice, and they'll ask you the question, they'll ask you to explain the hope that you have within you. And then we're prepared and we're ready. And that's, that's what we've always done with international students. Our mission is not converting everybody that comes here. Because a lot of them aren't going to do that. Our mission has always been with the internationals. Is we are restoring all things, right? One person, one place at a time. And if it means a conversation partner, if it means a home for Thanksgiving, whatever. We are going to be a part bringing the peace, the shalom of God into that life. And through that as a ministry and as a community who help us, we saw a lot of internationals who essentially asked the question, can you tell me about the hope that you have within you and who came into that relationship with God? So it's all important. It's all important. Especially, uh, I'm, I'm going to wrap up. Especially, can I talk for a minute? Ladies, you can tune me out for a minute. Can I, can I talk to the men for a minute? Because, okay, we're as humans, we're wired to make an impact. But as men, we are really wired. That's why, that's why work is so significant to us. As John Eldridge says, we are created to fight a battle, to live an adventure, to live for a quest, let's say that. That that's in the heart of every man, is to fight a battle, to live for something big. And a lot of men feel insignificant, or they just don't feel like they're just doing their everyday thing and they're not making an impact. And I want to tell you that as a, this is for all of us, but as a man, if you will live for God's mission, this kingdom mission of restoring all things to Him, one person, one place at a time, if this is your vision in your work, in your family, and all of that, I want to tell you, you will find yourself, you'll have this, this thing rising in you that you're living for something great. I just watched Dunkirk with Karen the other night. Watched it with some of the guys a couple of summers ago. 
And the part of that movie that moves me so much every time is when the, the guy, he gets out the binoculars. I mean, all's lost, it looks like. And he's looking, and then he sees something, and the guy says, what do you see? And he says, I see home. And what he sees are thousands of ships from England that have come over to take the men back. And if you know the story, they rescued 330,000 men, the little ships, the average guy. And every time I see those boats coming and the, the soldiers are all standing up because they all thought they were goners and they're standing up and cheering, something in my heart stirs as a man. I mean, as a human, but I think as a man. Do you know what that is? It's that desire to, be some, to do something heroic, right? To be a part of something epic, of something huge. And this is the very thing God has called us to. So especially to all of us, but to the men, I challenge you. Come with me. Let's join this quest. Let's follow our captain and be a part of this good news of the kingdom, which is the restoration, the renewal, the reconciliation of all things, of his work of making all things new. One person, one place at a time. I started, I don't know if you noticed um, this quote at the beginning, but I love this prayer of Flannery O'Connor, and I make it our prayer. Don't ever let us think, dear God, that we are anything but the instrument for your story. Lord, don't let us ever think that we are anything except the instrument for your story. Isn't that a great prayer? So can you stand, and I want to pray for us. So, Father, as we leave today, I know your mission has, grasped, has just, you've totally grabbed my heart, this mission of restoration of all things, this good news of your kingdom um, just has totally captured my imagination and has captured my allegiance. Lord, I pray that this is what we at 12th would be about, that we would be following you, Lord Jesus, our captain, on your mission to restore all things. And that as we go about this week, that in everything we do, every place we go, every person we encounter, that we would have this on our mind, that we are on mission with you, restoring all things, one person, one place at a time. And may that energize us, and may we be a source of blessing everywhere we go and to every life we encounter. And Lord, we long for people to come to know you because that's the centerpiece of this story is individual lives restored back to relationship with you. And so we pray for those that we love and care about and that we will encounter, that they will come to know you and will be able to be citizens of this eternal kingdom. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our great captain. Amen. So go this week. Be about God's mission, restoring all things, one place, one person, one place at a time. Amen.